listener production. My daughter Willow is the greatest gift of my life, right? Mm. So she truly brings me more joy and love than I ever knew was possible. She is also one of the most complex puzzles I have ever been presented with. It is amazing how two people who love each other so much can fight as much as we do. But we do, which is normal between parent and child. But most often about cleaning her room, which again is so cliche. But for some reason, me asking to clean her room triggers the most extreme defensive reaction in her which triggers my frustration, which amplifies her defensiveness to become outright fury, which makes me angry as well, which makes her cry, which makes me feel guilty, and so the cycle just goes on and on and on. And I hate it. It really removes all joy for her and me, and I just wish I could flick a switch and reconnect with her, like when we're at our best. This episode is all about why we get into a cycle of conflict with our kids and how we can make changes so that maybe it happens less. My co-host is Dr. Jamie Lee. Hi, Joe. Hi, Jamie. So we've already had an episode where we spoke about fractured families and about that lasting impact of not feeling like we belong in our family. It was a very powerful episode. Mm. So I feel like this episode aims maybe to step in before that lasting damage is done because nobody wants to be a bad parent. But the thing that amazes me is that I can want to be calm and rational and quietly spoken, but somehow the situation escalates and I end up being exactly the opposite of what I want to be. And I want to know why. Why is it we might plan to behave in a certain way, but, Jamie, we end up being the opposite? Parents can be triggered emotionally by their children's behaviour and their distress. And it doesn't take a lot. And here's the thing, when you're triggered, the blood and the brain signals go from your rational thinking brain to the reactive emotional brain. We call this the amygdala hijack. It was a phrase first coined by Daniel Goleman in his book, Emotional Intelligence. And here's what happens. And we've spoken about this before in our, in our first episode. The amygdala is a reptilian part of the brain in the limbic system, and that area houses memories, life experiences, and response reactions that you enact without realizing why. The amygdala senses a threat. It triggers a stress response before you've had a chance to process whether it's real or not. And it's always scanning to see if you're safe. Now, the thing is, when this happens, it happens really, really quickly often out of proportion to what's actually happening around us. And it's because that pathway is quite a lot faster than if it actually went through the thinking part of your brain. Now, this works in some situations. So, for example, I'm crossing the road and a truck is coming onto me. You want your body and your brain to react really quickly before you can even think. So that eight milliseconds will save your life. However, it goes through the thinking part of your brain. It takes 40 milliseconds. So as you're crossing the street, the truck's coming onto you and you're going, huh, there's a truck coming onto me. (laughs) Maybe I should move now. By that point, you're hit by the truck, (laughs) right? Um, So all of these triggers and sensitivities, we've developed these through our own childhood and, and our own life experiences. And so each person's triggers are unique to them. 
So it doesn't matter what you plan to do, Joe. It's because it's not about being rational. It's emotional. It applies to all areas of our life, not just at home, but also at work, and in particular, when parenting. And when you parent, it's it's normal to feel angry. It's normal to feel frustration, joy, love, anxiety, fear. And it also brings up how you were parented as a child. So you can see that this is all a bit of a minefield to navigate mm. and pretty easy to get caught up in a cycle of an overactivated nervous system. Yeah, right. I'm very overactivated at times, I've got to tell you. (laughs) And I love that you highlighted out of proportion because that Mm. is one of the mysteries to me is the reaction just feels so out of proportion from her and then I am, I'm sure, very out of proportion when she's looking at me. So, all right, we want to get to the bottom of this and we want to connect with our kids again. So our guest today is a counsellor parent coach and play therapist. She's worked with children and families with a range of challenging and complex needs and aims to help parents rediscover their inner wisdom and confidence as a parent. You can find her at kindconnections.org. Jane Parkinson. Hi there, Janie. Hello. I really love the idea of a parent coach. Does that mean that you come in and you yell at me from the sidelines, <laughs> give me pep talks at half time? What is that? We don't yell. Definitely. <laughs> we don't yell. We're not yelling. <laughs> it does kind of evoke these, um, this kind of imagery, doesn't it, of having somebody stand beside you, you know, whispering in your ear. Yes. Maybe what to say or what not to say. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That would be wonderful. Have, what, yeah. what, what do you do as a parent coach? What I do is offer parents the opportunity to, um, I guess, have another member join their team and kind of come together and just offer that other perspective and maybe that bit of coaching around. I wonder what, I, I loved what Jamie was saying earlier about those sensitivities and triggers because they are unique to us and mm. our children for some reason seem to evoke the very things that maybe we um, have to learn about ourselves. So it is this really intense dynamic and sometimes it takes, it's good to have somebody who can be neutral and step back and kind of see that picture a bit more broadly. It suggests to me that it's normal to feel overwhelmed as mm. a parent and to be triggered. Yes to that, absolutely. What, and it's normal to feel like we're doing a really bad job. <laughs> I guess you know, like as parents, we feel guilt all the time, don't we? Absolutely, and I think there's also quite a lot of um, stigma and still shame around seeking support as a parent. We're meant to know what to do, right? You're mm. meant to just come into to come naturally, job. isn't it? Because we love of our children. It is, yeah. and we're meant to understand these little people who were gifted to us. But we weren't taught to be parents. That's not a class in school or <laughs> in uni or anything. There's there's no, hey, here's a how to be a parent course. I agree, Jamie. I agree, which is where <laughs> a coach comes into play, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I think to just um, destigmatizing that there will be times throughout that parenting journey where, you know, whether it's the clothes on the floor or some other more challenging developmental kind of struggle, that um, getting somebody to come in and and really help you better understand what's going on for you and for your child is really powerful. So what's happening when we're in conflict with our kids? What sorts of conflict have you seen? I think, um, again, back to, you know, um, what you were mentioning before about, you know, trying to understand why. Is it about the clothes on the floor? It's not really about the clothes on the floor, is it? It's not really about the actual end 
um, uh, issue or, or trigger, but it's really about what sensitivities and triggers did we bring with us usually from our childhood and our own ways of being parented. So what did we bring into this parenting role that are now kind of being evoked by this little person? Because it isn't about the clothes on the floor. There's something else going on for us that is um, being, you know, is reacting, you know, in that moment. Mm-hmm. And what what kinds of conflict have you seen? Um I guess over time, you know, there can be tiny, um, small ruptures, you know, that can um, occur and there can be big ruptures, mm-hmm. you know, and there can be an accumulation of disconnection. So kiddos really need us to help them um, learn the ways of, of the world and how to regulate. I think, you know, regulation is a really hot topic and resilience is another one that we really seek for our children. But ultimately, if we don't have a great awareness of how we are enacting and responding to emotions and feelings and then I guess how we manage those conflicts, then how do we teach our children? How do we teach them how to self-regulate if we're essentially flipping our lid and Mm. going to that reptilian part of our brain? And children are so sensitive, right? They will feel immediately when you're activated, when your nervous system's triggered. And then suddenly they would feel like, wait, hold on, uh, my mum's activated, my dad's activated. Their nervous system also then matches that level of activation, which then starts that whole cycle. And it's so hard to to break that when really all you need to do is is breathe, isn't it? And then that starts dropping the the nervous system down as a parent and then your child can also follow I think that's a great point, Jamie. I think um, the slowing down and breathing, you know, is probably a universal strategy for mm. being mindful as a parent. And I think sometimes it's overcomplicated. Parents seek support and they get, you know, a raft of strategies that they go home and try and often it doesn't work and they feel more like a failure and there's more guilt and shame with that. Mm. And what you're describing is how do we kind of, you know, I guess essentially if you think about what do you do with a baby when it cries? You know, you rock that baby and there's that co-regulation with the baby. So that never stops. I think even as adults, you know, we use things to help us re-regulate and rock. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm doing it right now (laughs) as I'm standing here, (laughs) which is helping me stay connected to my body while I'm here thinking about all this stuff and maybe getting activated while I'm talking to you. So, yeah, adults need it, kids need it, and I think one of the most powerful um, lessons of being a parent is a it never you never stop learning, so back to that job that we never got the training for, and b um, that ability to learn and be aware of yourself and mindful about what is going on for yourself when you're reacting is incredibly powerful, and that is actually where our own parenting growth and human growth, I guess, occurs. Can I just ask what do you mean by dysregulation? Dysregulation is. Um, typically the the normal state of the nervous system. So the nervous system is, for the most part, constantly in a state of dysregulation. Probably right now, we're both experiencing activation in us, in our nervous system. And it is our body's way, our nervous system and body's way of telling us, uh, alerting us to what, to our experience, keeping us in our body, keeping us aware of our body. And I think that um, we are, you know, conditioned to seek 
um, this state of, of calm, you know, or a state of being regulated when actually being dysregulated is, is more common than being regulated. Mm. Between dysregulation and regulation, that's usually when you're in a state of stress versus a state of recovery. Uh-huh. Right? So a, a dysregulation is when your stress response is activated. Your nervous system's uh, response to an experience is activated through fight, flight, or freeze. Whereas a state of regulation is one where you're activating your parasympathetic nervous system. It's your system of rest and digest and where you feel safe. And connected to self. You mm. know, there's a mindful connection and it may be brief. I think getting back mm-hmm. to the how we apply this in parenting when you're, you know, flipping your lid. <laughs> <laughs> I had a moment of that earlier today with my teen. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, getting back to um, even brief moments, really destigmatizing the need to be zen or to be calm or to be cool with whatever's with your child or whatever's going on for them, but really kind of letting parents know that it can be brief and it's staying connected to yourself or having that mindful moment of, hey, I'm actually flipping my lid right now. Yeah. What's going on for me? What is actually happening in my body right now? Is my heart racing? Is my, are my fists clenched? You know, what's going on with my, what is actually going on for me? And then making a choice to do something to help yourself. So taking it back a step, right, I you know, I think a really common scenario, whether it's my daughter and I uh, arguing about her incredibly messy room or whether it's uh, kids that are disobeying their parents or if it's kids that are acting out at school, we as adults assume that the problem starts with their behaviour. Mm. And is what you're saying <laughs> <There> that <laughs> if, if, if a child is behaving in a way that is disobedient or acting out, that actually they're not the start of the behaviour, it's us that have caused that. And I guess what... Is that what you're saying? I guess also what you're highlighting before I drop the sledgehammer <laughs> is, um, <laughs> is that those disobedient, those, they're labels that we put on dysregulation. So we put on behaviour. It's all symptoms of, of you know, your, your child, we're all trying to express ourselves. We're all a toddler when we're dysregulated. Okay. So um, that disobedience or that outward expression of what society perceives as negative behaviour is communication and it's dysregulation. Okay. And yeah, it's unique to you and your child. You know, I'm, you know, maybe the next parent, I'm maybe, you know, maybe your partner walks in the door and doesn't see the messy clothes and doesn't have that reaction with your child, but you do mm-hmm. because there's something about what that evokes in you and not him that is different. So, you know, it is unique. A child's um, way of trying to connect with us in their dysregulation is certainly um, practised, you know. I think we all know that our dynamic is, um, is often, you know, well rehearsed and maybe sometimes by the time a behaviour feels overwhelming or is incredibly challenging and support is maybe sought by a parent, it may have been practice for a number of years. So when you say practice, like I feel like kids as toddlers, they learn how to behave in a way to get a reaction out of you. Would that be true? And then it builds over, like as you say, compounded, becomes sort of a cycle between the two of you. I think um, one of the biggest um, uh, sort of ways of thinking is that kids do things to 
um, get our attention. And often that can be said in quite a punitive way, especially when they're little and they're two and three and their brain is is growing at an exponential rate. And so when children are trying to connect with us, often parents will see that as, oh, they're trying to push my buttons or um, they're just attention seeking. But it's all communication. Mm-hmm. It may not be the sort of communication that we want and we may need some help in, you know, sort of steering that in a different direction, but it's all communication. And is it communication to their parents saying, I need you for something? Mm, Absolutely. I need Mm. you to help me regulate. Mm. There's stuff going on in my body right now that I don't know how to make sense of. And so as the three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, right up to, you know, maybe that teenager, even in the most difficult and challenging and sometimes not very, um, you know, cute way, they are saying, help me sort out what's going on for me. And sometimes the smallest experience can just be so overwhelming for a a toddler, right? Like a dog barking, for example, can really scare them. And so their reaction is their way of expressing their fear and their need to be soothed in that moment. And so I guess it's on the the parent being the the adult in the relationship to to recognise that's an expression of of need rather than, oh, just, just be quiet. It's just a dog. You'll be fine. Absolutely. And, and I think that's what's really hard because culturally, and when we go back to that whole family of origin, you know, where do we learn? Where did our template come from for how mm. we respond to sadness, anger, fear? Mm-hmm. How do we, how do we learn? Where did we learn that from? So, you know, if your kiddo's afraid of a dog at, at five and, and you love dogs, It'd be very easy. It's very, very easy, especially in our our um, our culture, to be very quite dismissive of of such big expressions of of emotion and feeling. So mm-hmm. sometimes it can start with something really simple and quite developmentally normal, like a fear or a phobia at three, four, or five, which can then manifest into something else. Just because that communication and that co regulation isn't kind of in sync. Mm. So as a parent, is the ideal, Jane? to recognise what normally you'd just say, oh, we had a massive fight, right? Or we're in the moment, in this moment, having a massive fight, even whether it's a teen or whether it's a toddler, when you're really, you know, it's a battle of wills and it's that horrible feeling where it's kind of out of control and you don't really even know how to pull that in. To actually remove yourself and to see it rather as my child is trying to communicate something to me, Mm -hmm. please remove whatever my reaction is and stop and be curious about what that child is trying to communicate to me. And be curious about what's going on for yourself. So reflecting. So you're talking about having that reflective awareness. So definitely slowing things down. Pause is a really good um, way to describe rather than saying stop or expecting yourself to stop. Mm. Um, If you think about culturally, we've been kind of taught to remove the child when they misbehave. You know, maybe you think about you know, strategies of um, naughty step, this sort of thing, remove a child. What we want to do is actually think about how we can move towards the dysregulation for ourselves and for them, develop strategies where we're not saying, I'm never going to get angry again. I'm never going to get frustrated. I'm never going to get overwhelmed. But in the moment I can breathe, I can stop and I can pause and I can take a breath and I can recognise, hey, I actually am losing it over the clothes on the floor. And then having a conversation later with, hey, maybe... What happened before? Trying to repair that rupture and having that conversation about maybe what happened for the both of you. Mm. 
And also, though, taking the time to understand yourself. And this is where I think parenting is a fascinating experience because every year, every day that you do it, (laughs) you discover things about yourself that you didn't know. Mm -hmm. How then, Jane, do we do that? How do we um, explore in ourselves? And I I know you're going to say go and seek a therapist or something, but if we don't... If we, do, if we want to actually start doing that work ourselves today, how do we explore in ourselves the things that maybe trigger, you know, the worst part of us as a parent? I think you start with rather than moving into, you know, what am I, I mean, you can reflect on what your emotional sensitivities and triggers are. You can certainly log something like that. If you want to go for a really simple way of better understanding your own patterns is you can just write it down, journal it. Okay. Yeah. But also have a think about what are you actually doing to regulate yourself without being conscious and aware of, you know, I know that, um, we all probably have strategies that we go to when we're feeling stressed or overwhelmed for some, it might be exercise for others. It might be wine. Um, (laughs) you know, there might be a long bath or, um, you know, sitting outside or meditating. There's there's various things that we do already do. And I know that there's things that parents already do with their kids that they don't realise they're doing to help their children regulate. And it can be simple exercises and activities around the home. I don't know why, maybe why it works, but it does work. So, right, so we I have know, to look at our own. Yeah, right. So for instance, I know that my daughter is calmed by a cuddle which I learned really early on when she was having a tantrum as a, as a toddler, mm. the best way of actually calming her was not to get cross at her but to just sit and let her come to me for a cuddle because mm. that's all she really wanted, I think. Yeah. But a lot of parents, I think, push kids away when they're tantruming. Well, that's kind of back to, to what I was saying mm. about, um, you know, being taught or trained as parents to, you know, have the upper hand. You've got to let them know that they've, they can't do that anymore and, and there's that kind of breaking connection. And I think what you've just highlighted beautifully, Joe, is that you, you intuitively understand what and worked out really early on su- such a simple strategy for regulating her because essentially she's going to borrow from your nervous system. So if you're regulated, she'll learn her energetically, she will regulate. So my calm then gets, it's contagious. Impacts. Her, her nervous system in a positive way. And essentially that's what that's a strategy right there in itself. to kind of really look in yourself and go, okay, I'm triggered by this. Oh, I get it because my parents treated me that way. Like, are we looking at our family history? I think you can't not. It's impossible not to as the parenting journey evolves because it gets deeper and it gets really funky sometimes. You know, Mm. there's some stuff that comes up that you really can come out of nowhere with, you know, your child might evoke something in you that it laid dormant for a very long time or you didn't kind of understand why or where that came from. And when you do look and if you do choose to get some support from a professional or do one of some fabulous parenting program, you may be required to Mm -hmm. kind of take a little bit of a look back at the family tree and the family of origin stuff and think about how did, how was I responded to when I displayed 
fear, sadness, anger, frustration, happiness, excitement, all of the emotions, not just one, not just negative or positive. I think too that takes practice to really recognise in yourself your behaviour as a parent and go, oh, that is very familiar to me. Mm. That's something I think I had growing up. Mm. But sometimes it can take years to recognise your behaviour is reflective of what you were subjected to. It does. And aren't children so forgiving because they do give us the time. <laughs> they do give us the time to practice that. And lots of opportunities. <laughs> lots of opportunities. <laughs> yeah, many, many. <laughs> to repeat and repair, repeat and repair. And they are incredibly forgiving. And I think one of the most powerful things you can do with children, the very first time you apologise to a child and show them that you are human, it can be incredibly powerful. And it's a fine balance, isn't it, Jane, of showing your children your healthy display of emotions, that you do feel all of these things and you're able to role model how to express it and not let you disconnect from your kids while you're sharing that emotion. I think there's um, an expectation that we're all meant to just understand the language of emotions and feelings. Mm. And, you know, that's something that our children need to be taught as well. And that's such a powerful part of being a parent is that you get to learn that stuff too. And maybe you haven't, didn't have that role model to you, but what a, I mean, there's such a plethora of, of um, resources available to us these days and you don't have to go and necessarily read a whole book to get that one nugget, you know, and sometimes those parenting programs or that article that you read maybe just gives you that one nugget that shifts things for you and your child. But where, okay, so I, what I think I'm learning from you in this conversation, and I've been aware of this myself in my own parenting journey, is that you have to separate yourself from this very, and maybe it's our culture only, I don't know of other cultures, but um, this authoritarian version of being a parent. Mm. Adult, but not authority, is what you need to be. But where does discipline fit in? Discipline is probably the one one of the main objectives that parents do parenting programs for. <laughs> they come in <laughs> wanting to learn, how do I discipline my child? And a lot of parenting programs and some of the ones that I've delivered don't focus on that because really if, you, if you're getting to that point where you're focused on disciplining, then yeah, that power imbalance, that power over, that very typical authoritarian style that I too was parented from and I spent a few years giving it a go myself and didn't work very well. <laughs> I have to be honest. Um, you know, it, it discipline is consistency and connection. It's your children understanding where are the boundaries for us and those boundaries being consistent. Emotional safety is created in consistency and reliability and availability. It's not about being perfect. It's not about being a perfect parent. But it's also not about being an authoritarian. Or punitive. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, that can be very hard to, um, for a child to make sense of, you know, of, of um, that power over. And I think you, you may create a compliant child. You may have a child that's compliant. Um, you know, we, we speak of wanting our children to strive and, and you know, exp exp expand, extend themselves and try new things and be risk takers. But if we're parenting from that kind of model, then really you're really clipping the wings, I guess, mm. you know, and you really can't have your cake and eat it too. Yeah, I always say that I, I've trained my daughter to be 
defiant because I want her to be a risk taker in a way that I I certainly was not. Mm. But except for when it's bath time. <laughs> it just kills me. <laughs> she just says no all the time and I'm like, well, I created this. I've given her a voice and I want her to and have choice. this voice. And choice. <laughs> voice and choice. How great. But she will not get in the bath. <laughs> but you can't, you, you sort of can't have it both ways, can you? No, you can't. And, and again, it's picking your battles too. That's the other thing. A lot of um, my work has to do with really helping parents when you talk about discipline. Let's work out what's really important to your family. What You can't have 500 rules that a kiddo has got to, you know, abide by every single day. So let's really sift through and work out what is really at a core important to your family's values and make your rules and your boundaries around those that are really important. What sorts of things might that be? Um, so for some families... Um, it may not be, it may be letting go of when bath time is or giving them more choice around when bath time is. It might be a morning or an evening. Um, so instead of saying, oh, free range, do whatever, it might be about giving choice. But conversely, it might be that we all eat dinner together every night. Mm. You know, So instead of it being all a child hearing that toddler you know, or teenager with the toddler brain, um, it may, that may be too much. There may be too many rules and you're just butting heads, creating conflict. And then I guess sometimes the, the message isn't clear or the trust and connection isn't as um, organic. You know, there isn't that um, ease of communication because there's just a whole lot of noise going on. Mm. What I love as I hear this, Jane, it's it's that it's about principles and values that the family unit wants to have as opposed to here are the 20 different rules that as a child you need to remember and follow. Right? It's here are the three, four, five values or principles that our family stands for and then you can anchor setting the boundaries around that. Perfect. Absolutely. And sometimes it is that simple and parents think, wow, you know, why have I been, you know, maybe you could give up the, the clothes on the floor. You know, you might give up the clothes on the floor in favour of getting currency in another, in another area. So currency, you know, every kiddo has there and we too have a, a some, what drives us, you know, what do we do not have to be told to do? Mm. And I've got two girls and I can tell you, Joe, one clothes are all over the floor, the other one, room is tidy. So, you know, the eldest who, whose clothes, clothes are all over the floor, she doesn't see them. It's not high in her value system, yet she's incredibly efficient and purposeful and passionate in the areas of her life that um, get her out of bed in the morning. So I've learned to breathe and I've learned to step over the clothes and the shoes um, on the way into her room and just let that go. So I've had, that's my stuff. Mm. I've recognised after battling heads, butting heads with her, that that's, that's my stuff. So I've learned to let that one go in favour for hygiene, you know, making sure the toilet <laughs> is actually clean. <laughs> Just clean the toilet and the sink, no mould. Yeah. And I'll be happy. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I, I concur with that. Um, so that's about curiosity of your child. And mm. I feel like the one thing I've got right with Willow in her 11 years with me is just every day wanting to learn who she is because I feel like she was she was born who she is and my role is not to tell her who she is. My role is not to sort of stand over and say, this is how we think in our family. My role is to be told by her who she is and that's been the greatest adventure 
to know, learn that of her. Do you know how hard that is to to arrive? That's that's pretty powerful stuff because I think that a lot of parents find it difficult to let go of being right or being the expert of their child and letting go of that and understanding who they are and maybe they're incredibly different to you or how you thought they were going to turn out mm. is um, can be a load, you know, to really take off. And I think that some of um, getting support from somebody who can who can support your family as a unique set um, of principles and values is really, really crucial because I think that curiosity and wondering, we don't do enough of it. We don't do enough or spend enough time watching and mm. observing them and letting them lead. Mm. We tend to show them the way, the best way, the most efficient way. So, okay, we're in the middle of an argument with our child. The first step is obviously to breathe and slow down and pause. To notice. Notice. Notice, notice that Just we're in notice. conflict. Yep. Or notice what's happening for us. Notice you're in conflict and then what's happening for you. Mm. Yeah, so just notice first. Yeah. Slow down and pause, breathe, listen to the child. Assume it's not them being deliberately Tune disobedient. In. Tune in. Tune in. Mm. What's the emotion that's being expressed right now? Mm. You know, what is the core emotion that you're noticing is going on for them? It may be frustration. Without judgment too. It, well, <laughs> Which is hard. <laughs> we might just start at the noticing. <laughs> I think to start, honestly, there is um, one of the parenting programs I deliver. It is just about stopping and noticing. We have to slow down. We want to get to fixing. Mm. Mm. Three breaths. Take three breaths. It takes 10 seconds to get over that amygdala hijack. Right? So if you allow yourself just that amount of time, even one slow breath, that's enough for you to notice. And then put aside this notion of fixing. I love that. That's... Mm. We're, yeah. we're, we're, co- we're, it's ingrained, it's ingrained in fixing and a lot of the noticing is where there isn't enough noticing. There's not enough noticing and curiosity and we want to stop it and we want to fix it and, we, and that is often also where children's frustration lies. Just let me be angry. Mm. Can't I just be frustrated? Just sit with me. Yeah. Get, offer me a cuddle. And I guess finding ways to... When you're not activated, the two of you, to spend time together. To connect. Yeah. Mm. And that comes back to the values and principles too. If, if, um, if you can identify what do we like doing that's the same, how do we like to spend our time, it may be something simple like baking. It may be that you both like to cook. That may be the only thing that you and your child at that point in time, at that period in their growth, and your growth as a parent, the only time you can co-regulate, be beside each other is in an activity. It might be exercise, it might be doing something like baking, but find that place where you can be and where you can essentially kind of fill the bucket, you know, or, or um, make deposits in that emotional bank. We use, I use those analogies with parents because they can really understand that when things are really off track, that emotional bank is depleted. Mm. It's depleted. And how can you start making little deposits and little deposits so that when you hit one of those crossroads or one of those conflicts, you've got some currency? Because if you haven't got anything in the bank, 
you'll have no currency when you really need it. The interesting thing too is that you're a play therapist, Janie, and so I wonder whether physically we can help our children uh, calm themselves through, say, bouncing on a trampoline if we know that works for them or um, having a dance in the middle of the lounge room or whatever it might be, go at basketball. or Is that that a thing that we can do as parents too? Absolutely, and you can find um, any number of resources online around regulation activities and Every child is unique and we are too. And it really feeds into also the value system of working out what do we do together. It might might be that both of you love shooting some hoops, but the positive benefit to doing that isn't just about connection and creating time together, but it may be co-regulating. So you're feeling calmer, they're feeling calmer, and then it's time to go in and do homework. You know, so it might be about building in those uh, strategies or those ways of releasing, upregulating or downregulating your energy in order to get your child, you and your child into that kind of optimum zone. And I think that in what I try and help parents do is realise that intuitively they know their child better than anyone. And that knowledge and that wisdom is in there. It's just often underneath a whole lot of shoulds and expectations of society. So getting them back to remembering what they do that works and then really understanding in a concrete way, wow, that's why that works Mm. because it helps us regulate ourselves and it also helps us connect with each other again. And you're really activating your vagus nerve as you regulate, isn't it? So you're doing activities, whether it be physical, whether you're singing, whether you're taking breaths, all of this is about activating your vagus nerve that stimulates your recovery system and your parasympathetic system. Strengthening it too, yeah. Exactly. And yeah. it allows you to, to regulate. And then when you regulate, then you can co-regulate. And I think one of the misnomers too about parenting is that we have to be attuned and get it right all the time. And attunement and a secure attachment with our child is really about 30% of the time. Only about 30% of the time. <laughs> so if we're getting it right around that, ballpark, the rest of the time we're all misattuned. So mm. we're misattuning more than we're attuning. An attuned caregiver is only attuned around 30% of the time. That's based on research. Wow. So be kind to yourself. You are a good enough parent and get back on the horse and give it another go. As I said before, kids are incredibly forgiving. They want us to do well. They really do. They really want us to do well. They want us to scaffold them in that regulating, you know, way. They want us to do that dance with them. So attunement and noticing and tuning into what they're showing us, what emotions, simple, really, some really, really simple techniques. But yeah, never forget that a secure attachment is 30% of the time. So the rest of it, when you're rushing out the door and she hasn't got her shoes, that's in the 70%. Yeah. <laughs> Leave that in the 70%. <laughs> and it's normal. Um, Jane, we've been talking about giving ourselves permission this day, dot, dot, dot. As a parent, what would you say to give yourself permission for? I think we've touched on a number of um, kind of themes. Mm. Firstly, to have a day where you don't feel like a good enough parent. Um, to talk about those days with other parents and to seek help for those developmental challenges, those, those, those things that just seem to get stuck, you know, where you get stuck with your child because sometimes the intervention can be incredibly short and brief. Sometimes for you as a parent, 
just getting support or um, advice or counsel from an external or a neutral other can just get things back on course. Mm. So I think we need to give ourselves permission to seek help as a parent more than we do. Mm. I would also give myself permission to feel all your feelings when you're with your children. Right? You feel them, notice them, and be present with it. You may not need to express it at them, but just noticing what's coming up and, and really feeling those feelings. Because mm. that's what makes you their parent. Mm. That's what makes you essentially you. And so that is an, an, a very powerful um, model right mm. there is, is tuning into, you know, all the um, eccentricities, you know, and even the family of origin stuff that we talked about before. It's an incredibly powerful opportunity for you to model to your child that it is okay to be who you are right now. Mm. I'm very forgiving of myself and that that bedroom or whatever, <laughs> whatever it is brought up for me. <laughs> Jane, thank you so much for your wisdom. I feel very empowered to try and be a better parent. Thank you for inviting me. It's been wonderful. In our next episode, an episode that I think is relevant to all of us, we're talking about work and the sometimes overwhelming stress and pressure that we can feel in our jobs, which of course can then be made worse by life's challenges outside of work. It can make performing at our best feel impossible. So we want to find out how to care for ourselves so we can thrive at work. That's in the next episode of Best of You. Best of You was created in collaboration with The House of Wellness. Written and presented by me, Joe Stanley, and my co-host, Dr. Jamie Lee, executive producer, Alex Mitchell, and audio production by Nicola Sitch. Listener.